So here's what I want to do. If I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to give you just a second to flip there. Mark chapter 2. We're going to be talking and continuing our series, uh, Vital Signs, and the sermon title today is called Whatever It Takes. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, here's what I want to do. Um, and maybe we, I'm not going to promise that I'll remember this all the time, but it's kind of something I'd like to start doing is I want to just ask you to stand as we read uh, God's Word today, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and this is what it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He, or who can forgive sins but God alone? In verse 8, it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we, th we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the example that Jesus gives us and what it really means to do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus. And so, Father, we pray today, God, that in the midst of what we have going on in our lives, in, in the busyness and the chaos, God, that we would realize the necessity, we would see the importance of getting our friends, our coworkers, neighbors, and people who don't know who Jesus is to the feet of Jesus. God, may we be a church that says we are willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means digging holes through a roof in a building to get people to Jesus. Father, we pray again that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move amongst us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, again, we are continuing our Vital Signs series, and I like to think of a number of things. We started this series uh, before uh, everything happened with my dad, and, and I, I kind of got a new experience a lot of times with the Vital Signs uh, and everything that took place uh, as we walked through it. You know, when I first went to visit my dad in the hospital, they had him hooked up and they were monitoring his heart rate and they would come in and take his temperature. They were monitor monitoring how much oxygen uh, he had in his body. They had all of these things hooked up. He made this uh, great rally is what they called it. The hospice nurse said they, they call it the rally. He made this great rally to get out of the hospital on Saturday and everything went downhill, even to the point where the morning that we woke up at seven o'clock in the morning, um, we had a I think they call it an oximeter that tests your heart rate and it tests the amount of oxygen uh, in the body. And, and, and we watched as the vital signs of my dad slowly disappeared. The oxygen level went down, heart rate was going from 150 to 30, and then it would shoot up into the 80s, and then it would jump back up in the 150s, and it was down to 20, and then it just slowly disappeared. 
And what that took on a new meaning to me was this, that our vital signs show us the life we have in us. And I believe likewise that a church has vital signs to show the life it has within itself. It has things to show if it's healthy or unhealthy. A heart rate of 150 is not a good heart rate if you're sitting there doing nothing, right? I mean, like, that would be a heart rate when you're working out. Somebody's running on a treadmill. You've gone and run, or maybe you climbed a set of stairs, or maybe you're just out of shape and you move from the desk to the kitchen. I don't know. Um, but you, a heart rate that goes through the roof is not a good deal if you're not working out. And likewise, a resting heart rate should be a certain percentage, a certain thing. So, but what I wanted you to see is the big picture of this, that a church should have certain things that we can measure, you know, a, uh, the heartbeat, the heart rate, the pulse, if you would say, that would determine are we a healthy church or are there some things that we need to do to get back on the healthy track? And here's the first thing we looked at. Number one, we said the healthy church, a church that would have a number of things uh, evident is this. Number one, to be a healthy church, a church that has good vital signs, is that we would have a desire for God and His Word. All right, that there would be a desire for God in His Word. We have a desire for God in our life every day and a desire for His Word in our life every day so that we're taking it in. And here's the reason why. If you come solely on Sunday to get fed and you're not feeding yourself any other time, you're going to be malnourished. Simple truth. If you only ate once a week, you'd be in trouble. You'd be, you'd be famished. You'd be, your body would begin eating away the reserves you have because it needs to survive. And so a desire for God in His Word, and today we're going to look at a desire to get people to Jesus. The reality is this, church. There are a lot of churches who claim to be healthy, but a healthy church is all about seeing the lost come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that means in our life as well. You know, over the midst of the time that we got to spend with my dad, as much as we hated to say goodbye, I remember sitting in the hospital room, my, pa- my dad's pastor and one of the other, the, the, the discipleship pastor at his church came in, and they were like, hey, Cliff, you know, we're praying for you, and I remember my dad, we're sitting there, it's, it's like Friday, I think it was Thursday or Friday, I can't remember, and they were like, you know, we're worried about you, but we wanted to know we were praying, and he's, he taps Pastor Jeff on the arm, and he goes, don't worry about me. I feel sorry for you because you got to stay here. <laughs> and we were like, you know, it really was. And, and, and to me, it was a life-altering, life-awakening moment. Because the reality is, and I talked to my wife, I haven't lost a lot of people close to me. I mean, yeah, my grandma, and I mean, very close, love my grandma dearly. She was 94. It was kind of an expectation. And I lost my father-in-law, and that was, that was torturous, but I even had to apologize to Sarah. I'm like, look, I'm sorry, because I probably just didn't respond like she did to the death of her own father. And then all of a sudden, it come crashing home, and reality sets in. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, life is completely different. Is my life pointing others to Jesus on a daily basis? Is my life bearing the vital signs, the pulse and the heart rate, the oxygen level, the temperature that it should be so that I am showing Jesus to everybody I come into contact with. 
And that's a vital sign we have to begin to see. And so today we jump in to a great story about some friends who go the extra mile to get their sick friend to Jesus. See, the truth is that this is how the church should respond to those who are sick, correct? The church should respond in a way that we see that those who are sick, those who are paralyzed, those who are frozen in fear, who are in need of hope and healing are brought to Jesus no matter what it takes. And I hope you hear that out, no matter what it takes. I heard a pastor a long time ago say one time, Hollywood and Las Vegas spend millions of dollars selling a lie that brings no value or truth to anybody's life. How come the church doesn't do the same thing? We're willing, honestly, a lot of people are willing to dump money into buying lotto tickets. A lot of people are to dump money into buying video games and movies and all kinds of things like that. But how much money do we pour into to invest into the life of the church? How much money do I spend of my own money to try and see people come to Jesus Christ through that? I hope you hear me out in this, and I think this is the reality that we have to do whatever it takes. And the reality is in American culture, in American church, when you throw out the whatever it takes, it usually goes something like this. So wait, you're meaning you're willing to sacrifice something to get somebody to Jesus. And a lot of guys I'd be around, they'd say, well, are you, are you saying then that means you're going to lay aside doctrine? No, we're going to stick to the truth of the word. That's what we talked about last year or last week, last time I preached. We will stick to the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will stick to the word. But we must be willing to do whatever it takes to get people to the foot of the cross, to get people to see who Jesus is. The reality is this, and as we've walked through this, we've had a number of good things come out of the death of my father. Number one, one of the financial advisors that my dad had called my mom the other day and said, Hey, you know, number one, we got to get together. But she said, I would love to know how you guys had the hope you have. Because she said, I'm just not so sure. She's 84 years old. And so Thursday night, she came over to my mom's house. She brought dinner for my mom. And they sat around for two and a half hours. My mom's like, I got a chance to share with her. That's the hope. When somebody passes away, there's hope in Christ alone. I've done plenty of funerals, and I've sat back, and I know that there is no hope because this person had no Christ. I know because I've talked with their family, and they're like, you know, they weren't really into all of that stuff. I don't know how people go through mourning and death with no hope. And what we have to offer them is hope in Christ. That's the point. See, healthy churches place a high priority on communicating the truth of Jesus and getting the sick to the healer, to the great physician. And so what we see today in today's text is this, that number one, we don't know much about the man, do we? We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know how old he is. We just know he's a paralytic. That's it. And news of Jesus' teaching had obviously spread virally. We, we talk about all the viral videos and things that go crazy on Facebook. But the news of Jesus' teachings and healings had obviously went viral. People were telling everybody else about it because here's what happens. It said that so many were gathered that there was no room left inside or outside. 
I mean, could you imagine it? The reality is that Jesus went to a home, a house, a regular house, and he goes in to teach, and there's no room inside as well as there's no room outside. So we know that that's taken place. As a matter of fact, there's rumor or thought, and you can look at this if you wanted to. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So some people believe that he's come back to this home, which would be Peter's house or Peter's mother's house possibly, and so it would be just a small home. And they're gathered there, and guess who shows up? All kinds of people, including the religious Leaders, the religious folks. And so some men came, and they, here's what I want you to see. Listen, listen to what happens. It says, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came. Now, it doesn't tell us how many. What's it say? Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. See, the story always is, well, there's only four men. It's not necessarily true. It could have been ten. Could have been eight, could have been six, could have been five. We don't know. We just know that four of them carried them, but some men came. There could have been more. And what we see is there was a group of people who had a need or saw the need for this man to be healed. And they thought, guess what? The only one we know that could have possibly do this is Jesus. And so some men come bringing this man, this paralytic. It doesn't say how many again, but four of them carried this paralytic friend, and we don't know where they came from. We don't know how far they came from. Could have been in the town. Could have been in Capernaum. We just don't know any of that. But I also want you to think about this, that Jesus knew that he was the, or they knew that Jesus was the only one that could do anything for their friend, and that distance and difficulty meant nothing to them. It meant nothing to them. They needed to get their friend to Jesus. And so my question today is this, church, are we willing to do whatever it takes to see people come to Christ? And I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning show, if you want to call it, a Sunday morning worship. I'm talking about, are you? Ask yourself this question. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get my friends to Jesus? I was brilliant, and I forgot my sawzall. But I was going to bring my sawzall, I was going to bring a grinder, and I was going to bring a shovel. Because I want you to think about this just in a very simple way. What if this building was so packed inside and outside that people couldn't get in? And Jesus was up here teaching, and all of a sudden, you could hear all this noise, commotion outside. Now, I know the first thing that would happen is our safety team would go running outside. What the heck? Get off the roof, dude. Cops would probably be called. We'd be arresting the dude, telling him there'd be some big standoff. Everybody like, what the heck's going on? These guys went to the utmost extreme. I mean, could you imagine if it's your house? Hey, stop digging on my roof, dude. I got to fix that later. What happens if it rains? These guys were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was the only one who could heal them. Everybody else could talk about it. But Jesus, he was the one that could heal him. And so here's what I want you to see. Vital sign number two for our church is this. We have to have a desire 
to see people come to Jesus. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. A healthy church must have an urgency to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Did you get that point? A healthy church must have an urgency. What does that mean? What is urgency? That means it's a now thing. It's not a later thing. And a lot of times we go through life and we're like, well, it's, you know, I could deal with it later. You know, I'm, I'm trying not to offend this person, but I want you to understand this. We have to get them to the feet of Jesus. We have to let them see who Jesus is, what Jesus offers, how he can heal them, how he can offer them hope. The reality is a lot of times you're like, well, yeah, but my friend's not paralyzed. No, he might be paralyzed by fear. He might be paralyzed by doubt. He might be paralyzed by discouragement or depression. It may be medical issues that he's longing and saying, I don't understand why I have to deal with these problems. So it could be fear. It could be doubt. It could be a lack of faith. It could be uh, other religions that have caused him to step back and say, look, I don't know what's right and what's wrong, but I just need something to go on. So a healthy church must have an urgency to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. So here's the question. How do we get people to Jesus? Number one is this. If a healthy church has to have an urgency, how do we get people to Jesus? Number one is this. We must stick to preaching and teaching God's word, period. That's the foundation by which we do everything. Everything we do within the church must have a purpose and a plan to point people to Christ. Whether it's youth ministry, kids ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, outreach, evangelism, missions, everything should point to Jesus Christ. That's why we'll stand and say this long as, as long as I'm pastor. That no one individual or person will dictate the direction of this church other than Jesus Christ. We cannot give in to preferences. We not, cannot give in to hopes and dreams and aspirations of one individual that would usurp any of the authority that is Jesus Christ alone. We must teach and preach God's word. Why? Because that's what changes our heart. As I grow closer to God through his word, his word penetrates deeper. It makes more sense as I see God's point of view. Everything must be centered and built upon God's word. Listen to Isaiah chapter 55. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. Everything we do should be built upon the truth of God's word. So we're going to stand to teach and preach. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this in verse 2 and 3. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That's Paul giving that to Timothy. Paul's given a challenge to Timothy who was at times, some people say in the young 20s, maybe even a teenager, and then ends up becoming a pastor of the church at a very young age. And he tells Paul, or tells Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful uh, instruction. And here's why. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from truth and aside to myths. If you don't realize the reality of what's going on in our world today, then you don't understand 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Anytime the state of New York steps up and says, we're going to allow abortion up to the birth, we have a problem, and that is a myth that has been taught. We are willing to sacrifice babies on the altar of sex rather than be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are willing to say, a woman's right usurps the authority of God's word. Listen to me clearly. There is something very clear about the Bible that he says, before I formed you, I knew you. I count the numbers on your head. Every person matters. Everyone. And we can argue science all you want. The minute a heartbeat is there, that thing is alive. That baby is alive. It is absolutely disgusting, astonishing. Matter of fact, it blows my mind. They have outlawed the death penalty in New York, but you're willing to kill a baby. Does that make sense? We got wickedness in the thrones of the American government. And it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans just as well. Now, I might be on a soapbox right now, but that is the disgusting, itching ears problem we have in our American culture. And you know what our American culture needs? Not condemnation, but the truth of Jesus Christ. We can stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and you can love others and you can still call sin a sin. Hear me out very clearly. Jesus never catered to an individual for the sake of trying to win him over. Jesus always said there is a standard and that standard is my word. And my word will not return void. And my word will change the hearts. And my word is the thing that you need to preach and teach at all times. Why? Because people will surround themselves with people who tickle their ears. So how do we get people to Jesus? We stand on the truth of God's word. We will preach and teach God's word. As a matter of fact, I would even challenge you in this, that you begin to grow. We've, we've given you the reading options. We've given you an opportunity to download the Read Scripture app. You can go to thebibleproject.com. You can come see me if you need more help and direction so you can grow in knowing the word. But you have every tool, every option under the sun. Grab your phone. Download the Read Scripture app right now. Download the YouVersion app. If you go to YouVersion, you can pick out all kinds of reading plans. You don't have to do the Read Scripture app. You can read through the Bible in a year. They'll give you everything under the sun. YouVersion, matter of fact, we started one, just a five-day study with, with me and, and Sarah and my sister, my mom, my cousin, stuff like that, um, on, on, five, on dealing with grief. Just a five-day study to dig into God's Word, how do I deal with grief? And you may not have lost a loved one, but maybe there's some grief in your life that you got to deal with. Maybe you're upset about some things. So we're going to stand on the truth of God's Word because God's Word is central in all that we do. It will correct us when we're wrong. It will rebuke us and call us to repentance when we have sinned, and it will encourage us in the tough times that we go through. That's exactly what it says, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So, in order to be a church that has an urgency to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, we have to be in God's Word first. Matter of fact, I would say this, the greatest evangelism technique you could ever do is just simply live out the gospel. I could teach you, we could all have all kinds of ways on how to share the gospel, but the greatest way is a simple overflow of the heart, an overflow of your heart. As you take in more and more of God's word, you spend more time digging into it, 
reading it, praying about it, meditating on it, then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I want to encourage you to have an urgency to get into God's Word. If you're a teacher or a small group, life group leader here, that you have an urgency to teach and preach God's Word because that is the very thing that will change the hearts and minds of the hardest, blindest, most callous person. So we have to have an urgency. Number two is this. How do we get people to Jesus? We must overcome obstacles to get people to Jesus. See, there's an overcoming that takes place here in the text. As a matter of fact, we'll see it played out. But there are going to be obstacles in our way when we begin attempting to get people to Jesus, both obstacles inside and outside the church. As a matter of fact, we spent most of this morning talking about obstacles that we're dealing with as a church. We got roofs going down, furnaces going down. If you had a number of problems, we got them going on right now, all right? That could be considered an obstacle, but I want you to think about it this way. There are obstacles inside and outside the church. When a person starts to make a decision, maybe I'm going to go to church, maybe they're going to have obstacles. Maybe you've been working on a friend, and this friend, you're saying, hey, man, you should come to church with me. I I I want to invite you to my church, and that friend's going to have obstacles like this. Sunday morning's my only day to sleep in. Sunday morning's my only day off with my family. Sunday morning is when I go to the grocery store. Those are obstacles. And while you may say, well, that's a dumb obstacle, that's an obstacle that Satan will use consistently in the life of somebody who doesn't believe that the church is necessary or that Jesus is the way. So there are those obstacles, but I also want you to think about this. There are obstacles usually inside the church that hinder people from coming to Jesus. Matter of fact, all you got to do is look at the text and ask, who was the greatest hindrance in this story? The scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. We must overcome obstacles to get people to Jesus. The first obstacle would be paralysis. The friend can't move and many people are frozen in fear. They've, they've got preconceived ideas about Christians. They've got preconceived ideas about the church. So there's this fear that people may have and say, look, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I, I don't want to go. Matter of fact, I've had people say, well, you're not going to make me stand up and tell my name, are you? I'm like, yeah, I think the last time you were at church was probably in the 80s. Because, <laughs> you know, maybe some churches still practice that. But they're, they're afraid. They're afraid about the way the church is going. As a matter of fact, I'd even say this people are afraid about the way the church responds when things go on politically, culturally. You know, when Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God first. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. I always ask this question. If I love my neighbor as myself, would I say this or would I want them saying it to me? Now, I'm not talking about speaking truth. But the Bible is very clear. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your speech be seasoned with grace and full of salt. There's a gracious way to do it. So we overcome obstacles, which may be the paralysis. Remember what we said, some men came bringing to him a paralytic. We don't know why he was paralyzed. Was it a dumb decision he made? I mean, like, 
you know, in today's world, you got people who do all kinds of crazy things. Somehow somebody gets injured, whether it's a boating accident or skiing accident. Matter of fact, uh, those, are, those are the day I ruptured my spleen skiing. Um, <clears throat> I remember I was in the emergency room, and this is after, after my operation and everything, and I, was, I could hear people, but I was out. I remember the nurse even saying, uh, hey, look, he can hear you, um, but he's not going to respond. Um, and I remember them sitting there talking, and the nurse said, he's the lucky one. We had a kid come in from a ski area. This was up in Seattle area, from a ski area who had, uh, whatever, broke his neck and was paralyzed from the waist down. And I remember thinking about that. Paralysis as a result of what goes on in somebody's life. They may be afraid because they may think, look, I was caught up in all of these things and the church is never going to accept me. So there's this paralysis of fear that they have because they're not going to accept me. They're not going to love me for who I am. Number two is this. We overcome obstacles. We overcome the obstacles of people. See, homes were small. They usually had stairs outside. And so the, the whole idea was that these guys, as they're dragging him on the mat or they're getting him on the mat, four of them, who knows what's going on, they part through the crowd, get up to the stairs. And what did they start doing? Digging. I mean, these homes would have been made of clay and tiles and different things like that. And they start digging. They're like, fine, we can't get to them because all these people are here. Guess what we're going to do? <laughs> we're going to cause a problem. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If this is your house, how do you want to respond? Dude, get off my roof. What are you doing? Like if I'm Peter and I'm sitting there next to Jesus and all of a sudden chunks of rocks start falling through, I'd be like, Jesus, hold on. I got to go take care of business. We're going to have a problem with those dudes upstairs. They were so desperate to get their paralytic friend to Jesus that they didn't care about the amount of people that they were going to offend. They didn't care about what people were going to say. They didn't care about the damage they were going to cause. Now, I'm not saying you don't take care of things, all right? I'm not saying that we just start going and tearing up all kinds of stuff to show people we're getting them to Jesus. But I want you to understand that there is an urgency that his friends had for him to meet Jesus. And we have to have that same urgency. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to do whatever it takes? And then the last obstacle we'd have to overcome a lot of times is the pompous religious folks. Those who think they're greater than other people. Think about this. The religious leaders didn't offer to help. They didn't say, hey, let us get out of the way. They didn't say, hey, let me help you get to Jesus. Most likely, at least according to some of the teaching that we'd see, most likely at the time, because Jesus had a lot of things about it where he would say, hey, don't try and take the place, the high place, but always sit towards the back, all right? Most likely, these religious leaders were as close as they could get to Jesus, and here's why. They wanted to catch him in any way, to catch him away from it and say, look, you're a blasphemer, and that's exactly what they did. So overcoming obstacles is oftentimes pompous religious folks. And listen to me, if you are built 
are so set on the religiosity that you don't understand what it means to be a gracious Christian, realizing I have been saved by grace, I have been bought and redeemed with the blood of Jesus Christ, and that I want the same people that I used to be like to come to Jesus as well, that I don't realize that, or I don't act like I'm holier than thou, that I have it better than them, that I am even better than them but that I walk through life knowing that Jesus redeemed me from the ways that were wicked and despicable to him, even though I didn't deserve it. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2 is very clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. Nobody in the church is better than anybody else. The simple fact is you're just blood-bought, redeemed Christian who has put your faith in Jesus Christ. And they need to see that. They need Jesus. So those are a number of obstacles. And when we think about obstacles, we can see all kinds of things that would play out in their life. But I want you to see that people need Jesus. And it is our privilege to bring them to Him. And there's always going to be obstacles. There's going to be a lack of money. There's going to be a lack of resources. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. We're going to face more and more obstacles. If you notice the way the government's going, Christians are going to face more and more obstacles. It's a guarantee. It's a matter of time. Christians will face more and more obstacles to the truth because it's already coming out. Matter of fact, there's, 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 there has been attempts to make it to where if any pastor preached against homosexuality, transgender, abortion, and things like that, that that would be ruled as hate speech and that you could be arrested. There's already attempts at that. And it's heading that way. And so what we just hold to, we hold firm to the word because people will be surrounded. And the last thing is this. How do we get people to Jesus? We must walk with faith. I think this is the greatest part of this whole story. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw whose faith? The man's faith? Their faith. They realized that the only way this guy had a chance, a hope to be healed, was to get him to Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I think there's something to be played out here as we understand what's going on, but Jesus sees the faith of the men lowering down through the word, through the roof, and we must have faith that God can, that God does, and God will heal those who are paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by doubt, worldly ideas, false teachings, and false religions. But listen to this, Jesus commanded the man. Here's the beauty of this, this passage. Jesus, in, in, in chapter or in verse 11, it says this, that I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus commanded the man to get up, which was in reality a test of what? Faith. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now all the religious pompous leaders start flipping out. Oh my gosh, that's blasphemy. Well, what's better? Son, your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and go home. So he looks at him and he says, son, get up, take your mat and go home. That's a test of faith first and foremost. If you're paralyzed and some dude tells you to get up, what's the first thought in your mind? 
bro, do you realize where I've been the last couple years? I haven't moved. I'm on a mat. These four guys just lowered me down through the roof. Do you not realize what's going on? Get up. Take your mat and go home. The first is a test of faith. And the second is a demand for obedience. Go home. And that's exactly what happens. Listen to what he, what he says. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. Like in some way, I'm sitting here going, wait a second. If I just got up after I've been paralyzed, I'm going to be like hugging the dude. I'm going to be jumping up and down and telling everybody what's going on. What's it say? It doesn't say anything like that. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all and went home. And listen to what happens. It says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. It's only Jesus who has the power and the authority to forgive sins. It's only Jesus who has the power and the authority to heal people. It's only Jesus who has the power and the authority to remove the veil from the blind, to speak truth to those who doubt, to expose the falsehoods and the ideologies that maybe we have in our lives that he says we need to correct and train ourselves to remove from. And listen, the beauty of the story, the greatness of the story as we play it out is this, that in the midst of the faith and obedience of the four men, we see a man walk away with faith and obedience and everybody else stands up and goes, what? the heck just happened? And that's exactly what happens in the lives of people who come to Christ even today. When Jesus infiltrates the life of an individual who is broken, doubting, fearful, paralyzed by everything that's gone on in their life in the past, and they come to Jesus, everybody else looks and goes, what the heck just happened? When that person walks by faith and walks by obedience as a result of the relationship now they have in Christ, the whole world has changed as a result of that. And so I ask you this question, church, do we have an urgency to see people who are lost come to know Jesus Christ? Church, do we have an urgency in our own lives to be willing to do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus? Because here's the reality, when it comes to it, we're willing to do it as long as it usually doesn't cost us. Money, comfort, time. You see the clash now? We'll stand up and say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Okay, great, we need money to do a ministry. Well, I need that money. Okay, great, we need volunteers to fill a ministry so that we can reach more kids or more teenagers with the gospel. Well, hold on a second, I'm not, that's not me. Somebody else is going to have to do that. We have an urgency until it costs us something. And the minute it costs us something, all of a sudden everything gets put on hold. Maybe even your comfort, maybe your pew, maybe your song preferences, you see where it starts to become personal? Do you see where deep down inside all of us in some way have some form of 
Pharisee in our heart? When I ask you this question, and I ask it wholeheartedly, wanting to be committed, because I'm telling you, I want to commit to this. I want our church to be all about this, but we have to have an urgency to see people come to Christ because the truth of the matter is my dad knew where he was going. I remember at one point my sister looked at me and she said, why our dad? I don't understand. Look at what he's done. And it took a lot for me to say this because it hurt. But I said, why not? Our dad knows where he's going. Our dad has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our dad is not down in hell. Our dad is in heaven worshiping with Jesus because he put his faith and trust in Christ a long time ago. My dad lived it out on a daily basis. I was blown away by the amount of people who came in and said, man, your dad is the one who led me to Christ. We had a gentleman that, that I grew up around for a while. His name was Steve. Steve worked with my dad back in the 70s and 80s. Steve lives in Atlanta now. He's still a diesel mechanic down there. And Steve came from Atlanta all the way out to Cheyenne, Wyoming for my dad's funeral. Because Steve was led to the Lord by my dad in the pit of a diesel shop in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I ask you that question. Is there an urgency in your heart to see the people you know who don't know Jesus Christ to know who Jesus is? Are you willing to take up one of the corners of the mat to carry them and do whatever it takes, even if it means digging through the roof of a building to get this person to Jesus? That's the question because it's an urgent thing. And all you got to do is watch the news to realize what's going on. We have more people now today that need Jesus than ever before. And the truth of the matter is, we need a church that senses the urgency to change our neighborhood. And if we change our neighborhood, then we expand to our city. And we change our city and independence. Maybe we can expand to the metro area. And we use it all as an urgency to see people come to Christ. The truth of the matter is, is this. I would love to use that thing every Sunday. But it can't happen just by me. Did you know that 86% of people who come, this is a statistic I read this week, 86% of people who come to Jesus don't come to Jesus at the front of the altar or at the front of the church. They don't come to Jesus in Sunday school. Do you know where they come to Jesus at? By you leading them to Jesus. 86% of people who have come to Christ usually come because their friend led them to Christ. That's the reality. We need to be urgent about leading people to Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you that question. Are you ready to do whatever it takes to see that happen. That's a vital sign of a healthy church, that we're willing to lay aside our preferences, our ideas, our thoughts, even our money, so that we could see people come to Christ. I want to leave you with this. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you love them, 
bring them to Jesus. If you love them, do all you can to get them to Jesus. If you need to go, go that extra mile, but get them to Jesus because they need him. We all need him. We all need to feel his touch. We all need to feel and understand his forgiveness, and he does. Jesus forgives. If you need him, come to him. If you know anyone who needs him, bring them to him. That is the urgency. That is the importance. That is vital. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and how you are the only one who can heal the paralytic. You're the only one who can remove the fear, the doubt, the discouragement, the depression, the struggles we may go through, the walk we may be living. God, you are the only one who can forgive us of our sins, the past, present, and even future ones that we will confess of because we realize our brokenness and our need for Jesus Christ, because salvation comes in no one else. And so God, today, I pray that you would break our hearts, that God, we would be a church that understands the urgency and need for people to know who Jesus is, that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came, he lived, he walked with us, he walked among with us, no sin was in him. He died bearing the weight of the sins of this world. And God, he did not stay dead, but he rose again. And so God, I pray that we would understand that urgency. I pray that our church would awaken, that you would awaken our hearts, that our spirits would be renewed, our spirits would be transformed, that God, you would speak life into us so that we would live with an urgent hope that apart from Jesus, none of this was possible, but with Jesus, all things are possible. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with this song. If you've never given your life to